This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country. We have made it through another week. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. We certainly do appreciate it as we work our way around the world of sports this morning. The big news uh, here in the state of Connecticut, anyway, and and probably probably only here in the state of Connecticut, uh, the news that the University of Hartford, the Regents Board, did vote yesterday to downgrade their athletic programs from Division One to Division Three. A huge mistake, in my opinion. Of course, my opinion doesn't count for anybody that works at the University of Hartford, but I think that this is um, misguided. I think that the premise that the president of the university and the board of regents are using as the reason to downgrade is misleading. They claim that they will save about $9 million. They will not save $9 million. The as I've said before on this show, you know, this this paperwork deficit that they show in many Division one programs where the athletic department actually gets charged, so to speak, on paper for scholarships and room and board. Uh, I could see the room and board part, perhaps because you still have to feed them, but the classes were going to happen anyway. So the tuition uh, charging the athletic department tuition for, you know, student-athletes is ridiculous. Um, and they're only doing it because it's Division One At Division Three level, they don't do that because there's no athletic scholarships. But again, those classes are going to happen whether these kids are on scholarship and in that school or not. And if you don't have athletic scholarships, those kids might not be there at all. This is going to be a huge public relations nightmare. It may be a huge... Furor with alumni, there are calls already for people to not donate to the University of Hartford. If you are a student athlete and you graduated from Hartford, there are people saying, hey, don't donate. We're done. We are done with Hartford. Uh, my buddy Mike DeMore, down at the New London Day, uh, is pissed. Last night on Twitter was calling for that exact thing. Basically saying that this president has got to go. And here's the part that this was a done deal before the vote was ever taken. Why do I say that? Because when they released the result of the vote last night that was supposedly just taken or yesterday, there was already a website created explaining exactly why they were doing it, how they were going to do it, etc., etc. This was a done deal the minute that this report came back to the university. They were looking for an excuse to do this. This was never, in my opinion, done uh, with anything other than the intended result being at the end of this. So here's what happens. They remain Division One. For this year, they will uh, submit a former request to the NCAA to join Division Three in January of 2022, and they will not be reclassified until 2025. There will be a transition period. So kids that already have athletic scholarships there, 
can keep them. And will they will continue to compete at the Division One level until they are reclassified. But no new athletic scholarships going forward will be issued from the University of Hartford. Um, again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me. I didn't go to Hartford. I just think it's sad. I think that Hartford is underestimating what this will mean to that university. And here's the other problem. This is a university that has Division I caliber facilities. Getting a Division Three conference to accept the University of Hartford as a member is not going to be easy. I can tell you right now, I mean, why would the, like for instance, uh, the uh, St. Joseph's College or St. Joseph's University in West Hartford plays in the Great Northeast Athletic Conference. Bunch of small schools. They're never going to accept the University of Hartford. Their facilities dwarf anything that any of those schools have. It would be an unfair advantage. The only conference I could possibly see perhaps doing this would be the NUMAC, which is Springfield College plays in that, and Babson and other schools like that. Maybe. But again, the facilities at Hartford uh, far outweigh anything anybody else has. So I'm not sure that, that it's going to be easy for them to find a home even when they do go Division Three. And there's a lot of people that are hoping they don't. So uh, I, I think it's unfortunate, but you could see it coming. The fix was in, as they say. Uh, we're going to get Mike on uh, Mike tomorrow from New London Day to talk about this next week. But uh, I am of a, of a mind that uh, there was uh, there was never any chance once this report was commissioned that the result was going to be anything different than what it is right now. Uh, other news out of sports before we get to baseball yesterday. And by the way, we've got Dan Zampano coming up at nine thirty this morning. Dan's going to uh, put a wrap on the NFL draft for us. Uh, talk about uh, give us some grades. You know who did who did he think won the NFL draft? And I want to talk about um, these rookie quarterbacks. We had so many of them drafted in this uh, year. Which one of them is going to be the most likely to step in first? Are they who are they going to just throw the keys to and say, "Good luck, son"? And how many? And who's going to sit the longest? How long is it going to be, for instance, before Trey Lance plays in San Francisco? So we'll talk to Dan about that coming up at 930, and we'll talk about the whole Aaron Rodgers fiasco uh, in uh, uh, in Green Bay. And we'll talk a little bit about the Texans as well, what Houston's going to do, this whole uh, uncertainty surrounding Deshaun Watson, what happens uh, in Houston as well. So uh, that's coming up at 930. The other thing that happened in sports yesterday, and again, this is an absolute joke. We talked about it on the show yesterday about uh, how the Rangers fired their president and general manager. And I, I theorized yesterday that it may have been related to their reaction to what happened in the NHL when Tom Wilson basically assaulted a couple of their players and got a $5,000 fine instead of a suspension. And the Rangers came out with a very strongly worded response to that, basically calling uh, George Paros, the head of the player safety uh, department, incompetent. And so I wondered if that the firing by James Dolan was a kind of a preemptive strike because he knew the NHL was not going to take that well. Well, the NHL did not take that well. Yesterday, the NHL fined the Rangers $250,000. The quote from uh, Gary Bettman in the press release said, public comments of the nature issued by the Rangers that were personal in nature and demeaning of a league executive will not be tolerated. And while we don't expect our clubs to agree with every decision rendered by the Department of Player Safety, the extent to which the Rangers expressed their disagreement was unacceptable. It's terribly unfair to question George Peros's professionalism and dedication to his role and the Department of Player Safety. Uh, yeah, it was strongly worded. It was also correctly worded. And I'm look, I don't know George Peros from a hole in the wall, but 
how George Peros in in his job can look at Tom Wilson's history and look at video and what happened in that game and come to the decision that he did um, absolutely boggles the mind. So I think that, uh, you know, perhaps the fine would have been bigger for the Rangers if they hadn't fired J.D. Uh, and the general manager. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? But not uh, uh, NHL was not going to take that line down. So uh, uh, $250,000 that it cost the Rangers. And the Rangers turned around. They had a game last night, and the Bruins blew them out 4 nothing. Kind of a predictable game. <laughs> uh, uh, result based on what's been going on there lately. The Bruins needed the win, no question. The Bruins got a big game coming up against Pittsburgh. Bruins still with an outside chance to win the division. They're going to need some help to do it, but they can uh, help themselves quite a bit if they can take care of the Pittsburgh Penguins tomorrow night. Uh, and a 4 nothing win last night. Uh, the young kid, Swayman, the rookie goaltender, picked up his second shutout of the year last night. Yaroslav Halak, who had the uh, the meltdown, the loss in overtime the other night and was slamming his stick on the way out. I think Halak knew. And, look, he'd been hurt. He hadn't played in the better part of a month. And Swayman stepped in and has been great. I think Halak knew with that result the other night and the way Swayman's been playing that his time in Boston is over. And Swayman cemented that. He put the final nail in uh, Yaroslav Halak's coffin uh, with that performance yesterday. Uh, the other big news in sports yesterday, Albert Pujols cut loose by the Angels. Now, I am a huge Albert Pujols fan. Having said that, Albert Pujols obviously is not the player that he was. He is hitting 198 this year. And he has not been the player that he was in St. Louis uh, for the last several years. I mean, look, after he came to the Angels, his first year there, he was, you know, pretty good, but still not with the success that he had in St. Louis. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, had a career batting average of, uh, I want to say, in the 320 range. Um, matter of fact, I can I can look that up. Before he went to the Angels, and then after going to the Angels, this is a guy that hasn't hit over 285. And frankly, in the last seven years, uh, he hasn't hit over 250. He was a 328 career hitter when he left St. Louis. He played there from 2001 to 2011. Think about this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what he did in his first. 10 years or 11 years. Ridiculous. 400, 445 home runs, 1,329 RBIs, three MVPs, uh, 328 career batting average. And since coming to the Angels, it has been a steady decline. Uh, he has hit... Uh, I have to look at this. Uh, I want to say he's hit in the 250 range, perhaps with with the Angels. It's been it's been brutal. There's no other way to put it. Um, and you could see this coming, but he's making 30 million bucks. His batting average with the Angels 256, with a 311 on base percentage. He has been a shadow of what he was in St. Louis. He hit 224 last year. Hit 244 his last full season in 2019. Uh he had 93 runs batted in. He still has the way to getting big hits. Uh you know, he still he drove in a, over 100 runs four times with the Angels, but he was not the same player. So the Angels decide to bite the bullet. They've got Jared Walsh. They want to play him every day. So he was going. He's going to play at first base, and they've got Shohei Otani, who they want to play more as designated hitter than in the outfield. So they did not have a place for Albert Pujols. He's he's a liability defensively at this point. He's got the range of a postage stamp, and I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love Pujols, but there is nothing left in the tank. Now, supposedly, uh, 
or the rumor that is that this all came down because Pujols had a bit of a tantrum the other day when they were playing the Rays. Ryan Yarborough was pitching, and Pujols was not in the lineup. And if you look at Pujols' numbers in his career against Ryan Yarborough, he feasts on him. He kills him, and he wasn't in the lineup. And Pujols was not happy about it. Had some things to say, and it, when push came to shove, they decided that it was time to move on. Now, Pujols has said that he still wants to play. So he will sit. He's been designated for assignment. He will sit on the waiver wire. Nobody's going to pick that up because if they did, they'd be on the hook for the rest of that $30 million. So nobody's going to pick that up. But when the 10 days expires and nobody picks him up off of waivers, somebody will sign him for the major league minimum. And then the angels will have to pay the rest of the salary. Pujols will get another job this year. You know, there was speculation that he might be retiring after this year and maybe he will. Maybe he will, but he wants to go out on his terms. So he'll go somewhere. I don't know where it will be. I mean, uh, look, you know, as I said, he's still got some power, but he's a designated hitter. And, you know, uh, but he wants to play. He wants to play the field as well. But uh, you get to a point where sometimes somebody has to step up to these players and say, Albert, it's just not going to happen. Now, where could he go? Uh, You know what? Here's a good spot where he could land. How about Cleveland? Uh, Cleveland's struggling. They don't have much at first base. They've got the kid. Yu Chang has done nothing. You know, uh, Cleveland could use another bat, you know, I mean, for whatever he's got left, you know, maybe that would be a good spot for him. He's not going back to St. Louis for those of you St. Louis fans that want that to happen. That's not going to work. Paul Goldschmidt is there. You know, he's not, I mean, and he's mostly a designated hitter and they're not going to sit Goldschmidt. So he's not going to St. Louis. You know, if he's going to get a job, it's going to be in the American league. Maybe how about Kansas city? It's close to St. Louis. Maybe Kansas city could use him as a DH. I mean, somebody will pick this guy up. He'll play somewhere, but you look, you know, he's going to the hall of fame. He has nothing left to prove. Um, and it's not his fault that Artie Moreno signed him to a 10-year, $250 million contract. He, he would have been a fool to take it. St. Louis let him walk. Maybe St. Louis knew. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't think that St. Louis knew that he was done. I mean, his last year in St. Louis, he hit 299 with 37 homers and 99 runs batted in after two consecutive seasons of 40-plus homers and 115-plus runs batted in. So I don't think St. Louis thought he was out of gas, but maybe St. Louis just knew, hey, look, maybe he's got a few years left and we're not willing to commit that length. Artie Moreno was, so he took it. Artie Moreno's got a history of giving out bad contracts. Remember that uh, big deal they gave? Who was it? Um, Josh Hamilton. They gave him a big deal, and uh, they couldn't wait to trade him a, f- a couple of years later and get rid of that contract. Traded him back to Texas, and we all know what happened. His his career just imploded. Of course, got involved with uh, – he had issues with uh, alcohol abuse and performance-enhancing drugs and every damn thing else. So, But it, it's a sad end for Albert Pujols uh, in Anaheim. He will probably get another job for the rest of this season, and then w- he will probably just fade away into the sunset and in five years – he will be in the Hall of Fame, and he should be a unanimous pick for the Hall of Fame. He won't be because almost nobody ever is, and people are going to point to the last 10 years in Anaheim and just say, you know, he stayed too long. This is a guy that, uh, you know, has hit almost 700 home runs, and he did it clean, you know, and he did it classy. You know, he was always one of my favorite players. So a sad end, but a predictable end. Uh, got just a couple of minutes left before we get to, uh, the Dan Zampano as I have ranted a little bit more than I planned on. Uh, how about the Red Sox yesterday? Good God almighty. I'll tell you what, a matinee game yesterday that took four hours and 10 minutes or something like that. And I probably used the F word in more varieties yesterday, uh, than I have in a long, long time. My wife had the day off yesterday. And I, I, I believe I entertained her by watching this game because the Red Sox, it looked, this is a team that came in 8-22 and or 9-22, and, and the Red Sox 
struggling. They end up winning two out of three in the series, but it was a struggle. The Red Sox gave up leads yesterday of 4-1, to 5-4, to 8-7. to seven. They finally get four runs in the eighth thanks to some incredibly bad fielding by a Tiger team that made four errors yesterday. And they end up winning the thing 12-9. to nine. And at the end of it, you know, I, I'm going, thank Jesus. I guess I should be happy. But, man, what a, a nightmare. Nathan Avaldi, who's been really good this year, threw up all over himself yesterday. He was really good for the first three innings. And then in the fourth, he threw like 30 pitches. Ends up giving up seven runs or seven hits and six runs in four and a third. And then they bring out Josh Taylor, who is a human gas can. <laughs> he proceeds to, to throw a wild pitch into the dirt that allows a run to score. And then another run scores on a base hit. And it's like, what are you doing? I mean, Matt Andrees comes out. He gives up another run. Matt Andrees, the last three or four times out, has, has been hit hard. Finally, Adam Adovino uh, restores some sanity in the final inning and, and gets the save, his first of the year. Although even him, the Red Sox got a three-run lead. What does he do? He walks the first guy in the inning. Good Lord. And look, <laughs> The Red Sox are 19 and 13. They have the best record in Major League Baseball, which is mind-boggling. You know, it really is. And it just show, goes to show you how early in the season, how much uh, mediocrity there has been. I guess you could call it parity, but I there's been a lot of mediocrity. I mean, and the Dodgers, who's supposed to be this super team, you know, just continue to to, to – drop games you know when you've got the Kansas City Royals uh, you know sitting on top of of a division and the San Francisco Giants who have been awful and they're sitting atop the NL West you know something's wrong so I guess they should be happy uh, about the Red Sox getting the win but god what it was a it was a torture fest watching that yesterday afternoon after the game, it was announced, by the way, the Red Sox signed Brandon Workman. Remember him? They traded him last year along with Heath Embry to the Philadelphia Phillies and got back Nick Pavetta, Connor Siebold. Well, now Brandon Workman got released by uh, uh, the Cubs this year. He finished out the season with Philly. They didn't re-sign him. He signed with the Cubs. They couldn't wait to get rid of him because he was awful. Well, he's coming back to Boston. They signed him to a minor league contract. He's heading to AAA Worcester, and they're going to see if the 32-year-old's got anything left. You know, I mean, what do they got to lose? You know, uh, Chicago's paying the, it was a $1 million salary. Chicago's paying most of that. The Red Sox would just have to pay the prorated minimum. Uh, and if they can figure out what's wrong with him and get him back to the way he was a couple of years ago, that could be a valuable piece. But his, his velocity has been down. His location has been awful. Uh, so I don't know if there is anything left. But if there is, I mean, talk about winning a trade. That would mean they got two pieces uh, from the Philadelphia Phillies that the Phillies don't have any longer, and the Red Sox end up with one of those guys back that they traded. Uh, the Yankees lose yesterday. Uh, Houston finally wins a game in that series. Jose Altuve with a go-ahead three-run homer off of Chad Green in the eighth. Uh, Astros win 7-4. Garrett Cole uh, ends up giving up a couple of home runs to uh, Jordan Alvarez in this game. Uh, Cole, though, that was the only two runs he gave up. Seven innings, five hits, couple of runs. He struck out four, didn't walk anybody. Uh, but Green gives up the big shot. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. was meh, meh. You know, six hits and four walks in six innings. Uh, but the bullpen does the job. Ryan Presley gets the final six outs and uh, picks up his fifth save of the season. So Red Sox still in first place, but the Rays and the Jays, uh, hold serve the Yankees now uh, uh, two and a half back. But, man, I'll tell you what, I don't know how much more I can take. If the Red Sox are going to – if this is the way it's going to be with Boston for the rest of the season, I'm going to have to go and order a case of Tums right now or some Xanax or uh, something. You know, my, my wife, I think, is going to have me put on anti-anxiety medication because I, oh, I, I was a mess yesterday. Anyway, it's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back – Dr. Z, Dan Zampano, is going to join us. 
to talk about the uh, the postscript on the draft. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. And because he can never pass up a chance to talk football, we've got Dan Zampano with us this morning as we uh, – Look to put a postscript on uh, the NFL draft, and I've got a lot of questions, and Dan, you are going to be my answer guy this morning. Absolutely, Gene. I am so excited. It is football season 24-7, 365, <laughs> evidenced, evidenced by the fact that the NFL draft ratings did better than the Oscars, most World Series games. I mean, it's ridiculous how much a grip this league has on this country yeah you know it, it was you know what's funny I talked about that the other day and and I, I I likened it to what goes on for instance with the English Premier League you know and <laughs> you know it's just as big as that is that's their lifeblood over there the NFL is over here and you know they just had that big protest where a game got stopped the other day remember that over in England yeah uh, the protest yeah, and I'm thinking yeah. that'd be that would have been like can you imagine like if the the owners uh, or the fans of the Dallas Cowboys decided that Jerry Jones was a clown and they wanted him out and so they protested and canceled the G- Giants Dallas game <laughs> down in Dallas I mean that was kind of like the same kind of thing I mean that's the only thing I could liken it to can you imagine something like that happening over here well the great the weird thing about over there is just there's so many leagues in soccer yeah. there's no leagues in football so I mean I, I don't think it would ever happen but if it ever did uh, I think people would revolt. <laughs> I think that if I think there would be an association where I could see it maybe happening in college football, where you start taking away how you're doing those one and done things with, yeah. the, with the NBA and right. the NCAA. If people started taking that away, I mean, I'm down south here, and I think people would rise up, and it would be kind of getting <laughs> ugly down here. So, well, yeah, you're right. You know, you know, well, I, I don't know. Well, because college football, I think, and, and this might be a stretch. But I, I in down south, I would almost say that college football is more more popular than the NFL. Way more popular. It's yeah. not even close. Yeah, I mean, down I mean, here, it's it's there are people that don't have favorite football, favorite NFL football teams. They're like, I like UVA, I like UNC, and then you go deeper into the south, and it's it gets even crazier. People get shot over having. Well, I so look. I lived in I, I lived in Alabama, and the uh, the Auburn yeah, Alabama arguments were just absolutely. They were fighting words. All right. So, quick question, and I don't know if it's a quick yeah. answer, but who won the NFL draft this season? If you had to pick one team and you said they won, who was it? This is always a weird question because the team I'm a that weird usually, guy. quote unquote, that, well, that's perfect. I'm, me too. <laughs> so, that, what's, what's weird about this question is that most of the teams that win the NFL draft are teams that are usually bad the year before. Right. But I would say this. I really like – there are three teams out there that I really like, but I'll give you one that I, that I think has a relevant chance to win next year. And I'm going to say it's the Cleveland Browns. I, I, really? I Cleveland, Cleveland had one of the best drafts. If you look at it down the line, Cleveland had one of the most outstanding drafts of anybody they add a corner in Greg Newsom the second at a Northwestern. That's something that they needed to address right. in the first round. And then a guy that fell, fell tremendously, was, was projected to go middle first round and fell all the way to the back of the second. Jeremiah owusu Koromoa out of Notre Dame, who is a linebacker-safety hybrid, one of the great tackling machines that they had last year in the NCAA, falls all the way to number 52 to the Browns. An amazing pick. And then they also draft the fastest guy in the draft, a four-two-five speed Olympic-style wide receiver named Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. So uh, to me, they addressed so many things and really spread out the amount of, uh, of players. They also got a couple of really good players in, in uh, late in rounds, uh, linebacker out of West Virginia that I really like. And um, But I thought the Browns did a really good job of addressing their defensive issues. Uh, and, and that's something that they really desperately needed to address, especially late in the year when they couldn't cover people. So if I was going to pick one team, I really like what Detroit did. Detroit did great for uh, establishing their team a few for a few years down the line. Denver had a great draft. You know, there's a lot of good teams that had a lot of good that did a lot of good things. A lot of mediocre stuff too. But I, I, those three teams, I'd say probably were my favorite drafts. You know, it's interesting you brought up Detroit. I saw 
a, a story this morning and said that Jared Goff was very happy that uh, he, he, sh- he said it was a vote of confidence that the Lions did not draft a quarterback in this, in this draft. And I'm thinking, well, why would they? I mean, because they've kind of gone all in on Jared Goff, haven't they? I mean, they didn't have a lot of choice here. I think the Lions very easily could have drafted a really? quarterback. Um, I, I don't think that now was the time, okay. uh, especially with having Jared Goff there. I think if you see the Lions, and we all predict the Lions to be one of the worst teams in the league next year, if you see the Lions to be you know, a top-five pick, I don't think I would hesitate as, as the GM of the Lions to take a quarterback if there's one there, and there will be a couple uh, so far looking down the line in college football. So, the Lions, I think, are about a year away from drafting a quarterback. Now, what was interesting when we talked last week about the draft, and we were kind of making fun of Dave Gettleman, and and yet, yeah, and yet, he did some things that he doesn't normally do, which is he did a lot of maneuvering, and got a lot of praise for actually stepping out of his comfort zone. And uh, and 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 trading some picks and moving around in the draft, and a lot of people think that the Giants, when push comes to shove, actually did a decent job in this draft. What do you think? You know, we made fun of them really bad. Like we you did. said, they have any confidence? They have no idea what they're doing. It's just typical Gettleman. And then I looked after Saturday ended, and I said, "Wow, you know, if we flip Kadarius Tony and Aziz Ojolari." for a first and second round picks. Right. I don't think right. that's a bad thing at all. Right. I don't think that's bad at all. And they get a they get a they get a really talented kind of gadget receiver. And then Aziz Ojolari, they had directly address a problem that they needed was pass rush. I mean that that guy was a first round talent they got in the second round. And then they add the kid from Northern Iowa as well, who's a six six monster. I mean, he's probably got to work on his speed, but I mean I, I really liked what the Giants I was I was very surprised and how well the Giants did. And, and for the first time ever, Dave Gettleman uh, trading down not once but twice, twice right. in this draft. So that's that's pretty impressive. Hey, I don't know what's going on, but if Dave Gettleman's going to do stuff like that, I'll leech across the aisle and tell him he did a good job. <laughs> we can do what Congress cannot do, you know? like. Um. So who lost the draft? Who had, in your opinion, the worst draft? And, and I mean, I think, I mean, I, the leading candidate for me is the Raiders, but see, everybody keeps saying that. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's not a bad candidate. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't, I mean, look, the Raiders are always going to surprise you what they do, but again, I'll take what the giants did, right? If they get Alex Leatherwood in the second round and Trayvon Morick, the safety at a TCU in the first round, I don't know if we're talking about that being that bad of a pick. The problem is they drafted two more safeties. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not really following. They didn't address they, – they drafted one defensive tackle, uh, but they didn't really address their defensive line. They completely destroyed it. Right. So I'm very confused on that end. They didn't really address offensive line either that much. Well, they addressed it. They got Leatherwood, actually, but – Leatherwood is probably going to play right tackle, not left tackle. Right. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's always an interesting team. I would say just because of the situation, Green Bay Packers. I mean, uh-huh. th- 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 that's that situation. And I know we're going to talk about it, but they did not really help out much. They did get a center from, from Ohio State to replace Corey Lindley. They got Amari Rodgers out of Clemson, who I love, wide receiver. But again, you draft a cornerback in the first round, and not just a cornerback. You draft a cornerback that was that was pretty rated lowly down the board. I mean, he wasn't that highly counted. Eric Stokes out of right. Georgia. So you know, to me, you add that with the combination of the Aaron Rodgers situation, which has taken a little bit of a turn uh, since we last talked, and I think that they really come out as the the media's uh, loser. I think for this draft. And I think I, I would add probably the saints and maybe the Rams in there as well. Um, well, well, we might as well get into the Rogers thing. When you say took a turn, what do you mean by that? Well, I just, I'm hearing yesterday and I don't know if you saw this is and Adam Schefter went on Dan Patrick's show yesterday. And uh, to me, 
I got very good clairvoyance about what this story now is. And Adam Schefter basically said that this was not something that was forced. This was something that uh, has been brewing for not only years, but really brewing over the summer since that loss, or over the spring. And that there really wasn't any source, per se, that was telling him Aaron Rodgers wants to leave Green Bay. He had known about this. Okay. Adam Schefter had been holding this out. All right. And basically decided, basically decided that this was going to be a, a story that he was going to release on draft day. <laughs> and that, that didn't really matter that it was on draft day. And I said to myself, are you out of your mind? Right. Are you, like, what are we talking about? This, this, you don't think that this story is going to have repercussions on Huge. the day of the draft? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. So to me, that tells me one thing. A, that this is coming from inside the organization. B, that Aaron Rodgers never really wanted this information out. It was obviously something that was going on, but I don't believe for a second that Aaron Rodgers was the one that was putting this out at all. And the people are people are booing Aaron Rodgers at the Brewers game, right. saying that you know he's 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 making this about himself. And I'm and I'm saying, are you guys out of your skulls? Like this is a completely now media driven story that was strategically released. I don't believe a word of Adam Schefter because he is he is known as one of the reporters that is. Uh, and he does a great job. Don't get me wrong, but listen, he's he's definitely you know pro ownership in the, in the slant, and, and everybody's got it. In, in the way that he presents stuff. So, you know, to me, I, I think this is a more, this is, this is something that actually, and I said last week that he good as gone. I don't believe that anymore because now that we know some of the facts that came out, I, I, I would say that this is a salvageable situation if the Packers want to save it, but it's up to the Packers to do it. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess, well, the question would be if this was kind of a, owner or or franchise driven and it wasn't from Rodgers my first my question would be do they really want to salvage it or are they looking for an excuse to move on they say that they don't well i know they, they say, say that, that they don't but like you know i the, the actions speak louder than words and and i don't think that this is something that has just happened this spring i really don't like i think this is something that has been building over time and and the more you listen to people that have been around the situation for years, the more it sounds like this has been something that Rogers has kind of felt for two, three, four years now, and that they really haven't, you know, given him much around him. They haven't drafted highly touted offensive players. Um, you know, and, and the defense has kind of been something that Rogers has carried for a long time. And, you know, it, 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 always a bridesmaid, never a bride. With, with the Packers, it seems, you know. So, to me, I, I hope that they would be willing to try and reconcile it. But maybe it's unreconcilable now. Maybe they've waited too long. Yeah, that's my and concern. And now Aaron yeah. Rodgers – yeah, maybe Aaron Rodgers is saying, look, you've had years to figure this out, and, and I've given you guys everything, and where you where would you be without me? That's my question. I mean, where are the Packers without Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I'll tell you where they're the ones picking Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson this year. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it's a two-way street, and if they haven't been driving on the right side of the road for this long, well, eventually you're going to hit head-on traffic, and that's what's going on right now. Well, I guess I mean I I I hope it can be salvaged, but I I I fear I fear that it's gone too far down the road. But I guess time will tell. Um, mm. My question next is. Of the quarterbacks that were drafted, and and I'm going to assume that it's Trevor Lawrence, but of the quarterbacks that got drafted, who is going to be the first one where the coach just throws him the keys and says, here you go, go take the car for a spin? Oh, yeah, yeah, that that's happening in Jacksonville. That's definitely, yeah, that's that you're hitting the nail on the head. All right. You don't, yeah, Urban, Urban Meyer did not come out to coach the Jacksonville Jaguars without Trevor Lawrence being right there. All right, so, so. He'll play week one. Okay, so let's assume that's the case, and, and I, I think it's, you know, that's pretty safe. Who's the next mm-hmm. one? That's interesting. I, I mean, I would assume it'd be Zach Wilson because I don't know where else the Jets are going with quarterback. So, you know. I, you know what? You know what? And I, be, let, me stop, let me stop you for a second. And here's my point. Yeah, sure. Here's my thought on that. 
This is my concern with Zach Wilson. It's the same concern I had with Sam Darnold. If the Jets just throw this guy to the Wolves, are they setting themselves up to have another quarterback that much is going to be expected of and he is never going to be able to live up to to the expectations because they're throwing him the keys uh, to a Yugo when the fans are expecting a Maserati? My answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> they are setting themselves up, but, but when you're the number two overrated uh, overall quarterback, you know, you're kind of expected to start right away. It's not something that you wait around for. I mean, Sam Darnold started right away. I mean, this is, this is, you know, this isn't something that, you know, is, is, uh, is new. And, and why do you think they drafted, they moved up to draft the interior guard, uh, the best interior guard in the draft in Vera Tucker. I mean, that, they did that to put him next to Mekhi Becton so they can protect this dude's left side. And, and, you know, the Jets have been trying to, and I know it doesn't seem like they have been trying, but they, they have been trying to um, at least get younger, different talent. I mean, Joe Douglas did not draft Sam Darnold, so this is now his guy, and this is on Joe Douglas now. So if there's two years more of mediocrity or three years more of mediocrity, uh, what else will happen? The heads will roll, the, the, the talk radio bus will, will come after and out of, the, out of the woodworks, and there'll be pitchforks at his house, and, <laughs> as they should be. So... You know, that, that's the way it works in New York. And I want to see if Wilson can handle the bright lights. I am very interested in hearing that. Um, one thing that was interesting to hear was that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo reached out to Trey Lance uh, after he was drafted. And I, I, Trey Lance, it was something that he said meant a lot to him. My question is, is that it, it would seem that Trey Lance seems to have a great upside. And, you know, and, and but. I'm not sure he's ready for the bright lights. San Francisco's in a pretty good position here with still having Garoppolo, and it makes them, the, the more I think about it, it makes them look smart for not jumping the gun and trading Garoppolo. And, and you know, he could they could hang on to Jimmy for a couple of years and have Lance sit for a couple of years, couldn't they? That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at you look at Trey Lance, and you know I've said this ever since he ever since we started this whole process a couple months ago. I said he's got the highest ceiling of anybody in the draft, uh, including Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I I think the sky's the limit for this kid. I, I really do, and I think San Francisco, what the San Francisco 49ers can do is not only they're they're not only going to allow him to sit and learn under Jimmy and how to be a professional, but it's also going to give them some time to taper their offensive strategy and how they run their offense because they are mostly a running outside you call it outside zone run scheme um they're going to be able to taper their offense to have more quarterback designed things uh run plays rpos as we talk about all the time because that's Trey Lance's game. Jimmy Garoppolo ain't running no RPO. Let's put it that way okay <laughs> so you know it, he, he, he's not exactly a you know a thoroughbred right uh, this kid, this kid is, you know, not just a thoroughbred, but he's like he, he he's like a preakness horse. Like he's he can fly. This right. kid, and he's super strong. I mean, super strong. He's got that Steve McNair, even Cam Newton quality of of being able to run the football. So, you know, I, I think that, again the sky's the limit. And and look, San Francisco comes out smelling like a rose with that pick. It, it's really interesting how this is this whole thing is going to go down for them. What did you uh, were you pleased with the uh, with what uh, the Patriots did in the second round trading up and getting Barmore? It would oh, seem wow. to be a great pick, but there are some question marks about him. But it seemed to be a a pretty smart and pretty savvy move on Bill Belichick's part. I think they absolutely killed it. I think they killed this draft. They, they did a great job I, to move up. It's so funny. My father actually walked in the door to my apartment to surprise us for the weekend as the Patriots traded up. So I was like, and then they drafted Christian Barmore, who I had told everybody, I was like, I drafted him in the first round. I drafted him with the 15th pick. We're not going to draft a quarterback. And I was like, wow, they drafted him. What a great five minutes as it just went down here. So that was like, it was like awesome. But I think Barmore, an excellent pick. I mean, he's the best defensive tackle in this draft. Yes, there are questions and there are reasons why you know, the defensive tackle didn't go in the first round. But, I mean, it, you talk about a guy with twitch and that can play inside and really bull rush dudes. I mean, he is a load. He's 315 pounds of yes, ma'am. I mean, that's just <laughs> like uh, the, the, the guy The guy is amazing. And then, and I just want to talk about these guys 
but the Ronnie Perkins yep. uh, draft pick is a guy who got suspended and fell out because of issues. Uh, that guy is uh, definitely a, a, a top second round, maybe even first round talent. Uh, the running back, Ramon J. Stevenson, goodbye, Sonny Michelle. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That, that's the kid that's going to replace Sonny Michelle. There's no question. He's 230 pounds of athlete freak and a bowling ball. I love that dude. And then they got a couple other guys, a tackle out of Colorado and a Michigan linebacker that I do also really like a lot. So great job, great job. And, and, and Ernie Adams in his last draft making the pick was kind of cool to see too. So I thought it was a good weekend uh, for the Patriots. Um, yeah, you know, and, uh, I also saw they, uh, they signed, uh, your Michigan kicker, Quinn Norton. Yes. <laughs> Quinn Norton. Yeah. yeah. God bless. He's, yeah. he's coming up to New England. I love that. Yeah, I, I thought, you, I thought of you as soon as I saw that. I said, oh my goodness, a Michigan kicker. He'll be all over that. Um, all right. So look, <laughs> Patriots had it. We all know what they did in the free agency process. They absolutely knocked it out of the park. You said they had a great draft. You look at this Patriot team on paper, and it is kind of scary how good this team could be, except the guy driving the bus. <laughs> so I ask you, Dan Zampano, how patient does Bill Belichick be, or how patient will he be this year with, with all that talent on that team? How patient can he afford to be with Cam Newton. Look, uh, Mac Jones obviously is the next guy. They expect him to start. And there's no question about that. He's not going to start right away. Right. Um, but with Cam Newton there, and, and it's just some weird obsession with Bill that he just loves this guy and, and loves his athletic talent. I think he's in love with just the six, five, just two fifty frame. And right. it's just, you know, to me, I would say that bill has probably a longer leash than we expect. And if it's week eight and the Patriots are, you know, four, four and four. four and 500, you know, I can imagine that, you know, maybe he sticks around and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it really depends more on Mac Jones than it depends on Cam Newton. I really do believe that. In, in terms Mac of Mac can learn the offense. Yeah, in terms of how quickly he picks just, it up. It, yeah. yeah, how how quickly he picks it up exactly, and how he performs. Who knows if he performs well in the preseason? I mean, look, back in '01, look, the only reason that they didn't start Brady and and Belichick has said this, is because of the money that Bledsoe was making. Right. Cam Newton ain't making no Bledsoe money. No. <laughs> okay, like it's just, he ain't he ain't doing that. Right. So you know. I can imagine that if Mac Jones plays as well as, and again, I'm not comparing him for these lunatics on Twitter. Uh, if he, if he plays as well as Tom Brady played in the L1 preseason, I mean, okay, I definitely could see him starting Week One, no question. Well, oh, you could see him starting. Excuse me, Week One. Yeah, no really? question. If if he plays as well as Tom Brady played in that 0-1 preseason because Tom Brady would have started over Drew Bledsoe. It's been well documented. Yeah. Then I think absolutely Mac Jones could start. Wow. One. There's no question about it. Wow. Now that I did not expect to hear you say. Week eight? Yeah, I expected. That week week one, I'd be – boy, I guess – well, I guess that I would, would be stunned. I would be <laughs> stunned myself. I really would. I Sometimes I surprise myself, but you know what? I know Bill and how he acts and how he's gone throughout the last 20 years. Yeah. And he will do things that may seem unpopular to people and not be afraid of it. He's not afraid to make that decision. Why would he do? Why would he not be afraid now? Well, uh, other Patriot news this week. The uh, Patriots picked up the fifth year option on Isaiah Wynn. I thought that was a good move. And, and you were probably very excited to hear they declined the one on Sonny Michelle. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> and 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 I as I as I stated before, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Ramondre Stevenson will pick it up quite nicely, and I think they needed a guy like this. He he reminds me a lot of a Garrett Blunt, this Stevenson kid. So Tony's just not working out, and you know now with the offensive line to uh, Isaiah Wynn, I, I think that he's really got to prove that he stays healthy this year, and because he's the starting left tackle right. in this league if he wants to be. So I, you know, I, I thought that was a smart, shrewd move by the Patriots to do that. 
Well, Dan, we've got a uh, we've got a few weeks before things start to pick up, and uh, it's going to be interesting this year too to see how many guys actually show up for the voluntary workouts and stuff, uh, with all the the the, the talk going on. And that, you know, is how much do you think that's going to impact when training camp actually opens? If a lot of teams don't get together for these uh, voluntary quote unquote workouts, do you think that affects how ready guys will be come training camp? I mean, we always talk about that and guys not being ready and this and that. The guys are working out on their own. You would think. You know, obviously. Well, that, I mean, we've, we've already seen this situation <laughs> with the Broncos. <laughs> yes. Offensive linemen. And did, and you, see, did so, you see the tweet from uh, Patrick Mahomes after that? After they, yes. after they were yes, talking I about did. And he says, so you're not going to pay a guy because he was trying to get in shape on his own? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, that's the, good. The, that, the NFL – yeah, the NFL just sometimes makes very boneheaded decisions, and, and you know it's so, it's so ridiculous. You know the coaches want it. This is the first time really that the NFL has been challenged by the PA, right? To to really you know have these COVID restrict not only the COVID um, you know protocols in place still, but these voluntary workouts have never really been but, voluntary. No, no, I mean, no, uh, it, you pay for it. You pay for it once you get to training camp. Yeah. So. You know, there's 23 teams now that are that are saying no, we're not coming, and and that's not all of the players on the teams, but that's a lot of teams, and so this is a big battle, and I think the NFL might like flex a little bit muscle on the on the union, and and the union better be prepared for that. Well, stay tuned. So uh, we uh, we'll give you some time off. Enjoy your summer, my friend, and uh, when training <laughs> camps uh, get going, we'll have you back on. But uh, thanks for your insight this morning. As always, Dan, you are the man, Gene. Gene, I am so happy to be on your show because it got me through my first semester of grad school. So I'm very, very excited, <laughs> and uh, and I can't wait. I can't wait for uh, September and and August, and we actually get preseason this year, and and we will we will rock and roll, and it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. Happy to be of service, my friend. Talk to you soon. You too. Take right. it easy. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Here's a. Remake by Marty Stewart of an old Johnny Cash song. Hey, Porter, we'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.